Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at the bar and restaurant scene. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. We are back after a one week Hurricane Harvey forced break. Uh, we have Leonard Batello the Fourth from Truth Barbecue coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by my co-host this week. Do this in order. Shanna Jones from Urban Swank. How are you? I am fantastic. Glad to see that you're safe. Thank you. Felice Sloan from Urban Swank. How are you? Hey, 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 hey. Happy to be back. Uh, yeah, so I think before we dive into the news of the week, did y'all did y'all come through the storm okay? Is everybody good? blessed very blessed you know minor it's so minor and everybody has so much devastation yeah. i feel guilty i can't even talk about it so it's yes. so insignificant you know, you're like it really is so and then yeah. and so then you have this survivor's guilt of coming through it and not you know having any anything severe happen so we are definitely happy to be well and dry and our family safe good i'm glad to hear that we actually have a whole essay a personal essay about the survivor's guilt from hurricane harvey on culture map that i Highly suggest anyone who hasn't read it check out, but uh, the rate at which people are reading it, I bet everybody who is listening has probably already seen that article. Uh, obviously, Hurricane Harvey is going to dominate our coverage of the news of the week. It's been a tumultuous ten or so days. We taped this every. We're taping this on Tuesday, so Harvey made landfall on the two Fridays ago. Yeah, I think one of the stories, at least from. Our perspective as people who pay a lot of attention to the restaurant industry is how chefs around town, people who are affiliated with the restaurant business, have stepped up to help. You know, when you devote your life to feeding people and bringing hospitality in in a moment of crisis, in a moment of a disaster, when when so many people can't feed themselves for whatever reason, these chefs have stepped up. And, and I know whatever I do won't... Uh, won't nearly encompass uh, the efforts that are that are going on, but but certainly Richard Knight, uh, his wife Carrie, they're working in Midtown at the former Search Building. Uh, Brian Caswell and his wife Jennifer are one of uh, former podcast guests. They're uh, they're working away at Reef, which sustained some flood damage, so the mm-hmm. the dining room is inoperable. But they are feeding people from Reef, and then. Uh, Veronica Rademacher is uh, doing some really good work too. I don't, I don't know that there's a whole lot to say about this, but what's your, what's your reaction to the way the food community has stepped up to help people? You know, I think it's like, kind of like what you said, that's what they do every day. Right. So it's only natural that they would step in, especially folks like, um, like that you named or like the guys at Pelly Pelly and, you know, um, Rebecca Mason, like all it's only natural that they would do that because they do that every day when there's not a natural disaster. Right. They're always giving back to the community. And so I think it's just it's amazing. Like they're we're paying it forward and that's what we're supposed to do. I'm just tremendously proud. Um, I was like very proud, if not more than any other time, to be a Houstonian and to be a part of industry that we personally love so much is that so many people without a, a, a thought did whatever they could open their doors. I mean, people were, people had their doors open and you're like in the midst of a storm. 
just trying to feed people. And, you know, we'll talk about it later, I'm sure. But just without any idea of how how much they were going to be able to do, they opened their doors. I'm just tremendously proud of our industry. Right. And it's worth noting that this operation is ongoing. There's a website, IHaveFoodIneedFood.com, that's coordinating the supplying to what I believe is called the Midtown Food Collective. That's what Richard Knight and Richard and Carrie are kind of leading up. So if you are a restaurant or a food supplier with product to donate because it's going bad or because you just want to contribute to the cause, you have food. If you're a volunteer group that's helping relief efforts or you're running a shelter or you're a group of first responders that hasn't had a hot meal in a while, you need food. I have food. I need food.com will handle all of those requests. It serves as, it's serving as kind of a clearinghouse mm-hmm. and it's getting, it's getting food to people who really need it. And I know that they've done a lot of work to get food to people in Port Arthur and Beaumont. I know Lyle Bento has been from Southern Goods has been back and forth east a number of times. I know Alex Gregg from Moving Sidewalk has been organizing deliveries. Mark Austin, the music promoter, has been coordinating transportation. So it's really just been a, an incredible effort from all across the culinary community. Um, and worth noting, uh, celebrity chefs are getting in on this too. Uh, Jose Andres from Washington, D.C. has been in town organizing using his profile to attract resources from a number of sponsors. Uh, I was with John Besh at a Catholic church in North Houston Sunday. He and his crew from Eunice, which will open hopefully by the end of the year, um, made 78 gallons of gumbo for uh, a church event with a, like a youth component where they, they partnered with a summer camp provider to, to get all these inflatables out so that the kids had it's something awesome. to do. It was, it was a really incredible thing. And, and, you know, John's like, you have to try the gumbo. And I said, I don't want to take food from these people. He's like, we made 78 <laughs> gallons. <laughs> try like, the gumbo, 16, Eric. <laughs> there's 1,600 portions. You can have a bowl of gumbo. And it was good gumbo. I mean, not that you would expect that it would be. Any less in, from right. him, right? But, you know, but it was it was great to see that. It was it was really heartwarming. Um, and so it's just a, it's, it's. You know, I've I've tried to contribute in in my small ways, just kind of mm-hmm. getting the word out about what's going on. This podcast is obviously another facet of that, but it makes me proud to be affiliated with this community. Can I the, the can work I add? Doing. Absolutely. Do. Can I add too? Is that you know our our restaurateurs are doing an amazing job, our chefs, but there are a lot of professional catering organizations that are doing a lot of work too. So I know that site also is welcoming not only restaurant owners, but professional certified caterers that are out there cooking food in their homes and their kitchens that are giving back as well. So if you're out there and listening and you're doing that, visit that website. You can give that way as well. And I know they've been struggling to find out. They're preparing all this food. They don't know where to go and who to give yeah. it to. So that's a really great website and reference for for you guys as well. Right. And then the flip side of all this giving is that Events like this that, that closed restaurants for a solid weekend and then we had the curfew that's been lifted as of this afternoon, as of Tuesday afternoon, um, for all but the evacuation area in West Houston, which is good news, but has really hurt bars and restaurants. Uh, obviously, if you're a front of house employee, you're tipped. Yeah. You need a certain volume of customers spending a certain amount of money to make your living. Rent was due September 1st for just about everybody. Uh, Restaurants are hurting. They need our support. 
I know you guys went to State Fair. I'm sure you heard that message from the Cherry Pie folks. What are you, what are you hearing out there? Yeah, when um, on Sunday it was very, it, it was weird, right? Being there and they're working on a skeleton crew um, because they didn't really expect to kind of be busy because they hadn't been busy and there's literally like three or four people working this whole restaurant and. Um, and some of the people that were there, they've lost, like the guy that was waiting on us, they've lost everything, right? So you just want to give what you can. And then I'm talking to um, um, him and some other people. People have nothing, right? And then they're not making any tips. And so for people that thinks like a lot of the restaurants aren't open back up, you know, check out Culture Map, check out Urban Swank, check out, call the restaurant, go to their sites. Like, they need us to get back into their restaurants because this is how they feed their families and make their living. And I don't think I don't think maybe those outside of the industry really understand the whole front of the house tipping aspect in regards to that's how they make their living. I don't think people really. Right. So let's you know, be real explicit about this. The tipped minimum wage in the state of Texas is $2.13 an hour. So everything else comes from tips. And if diners aren't going into restaurants, then servers aren't making tips. And if restaurants aren't busy, cooks aren't getting their full complement of hours. There are some programs available to help. The Texas Workforce Commission has some funds available for people who are either underemployed as underemployed as a result of the storm, meaning that their hours have been cut, or just unemployed because the businesses weren't open. But that, you know, I don't know how long it, that process takes. And so most people need money like right now. Yeah, yeah it takes about six to eight weeks on six to eight weeks. TW, right? Like it's, um, and then you're a check in the hole. So if you're applying for that, they're going to, it's better to actually call than to try to do it online. Mm-hmm. But you're probably looking at what would amount to a paycheck in the hole then they're going to give you the next paycheck. So that's about six yeah. to eight weeks. So, yeah, folks, they we need to get out and support local. So and that's right why for yeah. uh, Halloween shopping. <laughs> exactly. And and just to add, that's why these local industry employee relief funds are so important because some of the larger organizations and, you know, there's a bit of red tape, right, wrong or indifferent just to get through the process. So these local funds that are put on put on by our chefs and are in within our community that are kind of on the floor running with it are the ones to really support and give to because the people that are waiting for that six to eight weeks, what's going to happen in the meantime, you know? Right. I mean, we have seen T. Martin of Commander's Palace in New Orleans. She has started a relief fund for hospitality workers. She hopes to begin making disbursements to people and these are pretty substantial i mean she's one-time grants in the amount of two to five thousand dollars is kind of what her plan is yeah that's going to rely on donations from across the country dinners held at restaurants across the country obviously i'm sure some houston restaurants will be participating in that commanders will take the lead in organizing that in new orleans and obviously commanders is such an iconic restaurant really for the whole country that their reputation will drive a lot of interest in that locally chris shepherd through Southern Smoke, is working with Legacy Health to get funds to people instead of instead of benefiting the National MS Society. It's going to benefit Legacy to get cash to hospitality workers. So that's good news. But you know, in the meantime, um, I think the thing that's going to have the biggest impact the most quickly 
is that Houston Restaurant Weeks has been extended yep. until the end of September. Mm-hmm. Cleverly Stone announced that on her radio show on Saturday. The food bank obviously ramps up in moments of crisis like this. They're running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They have trucks coming in all the time. They have trucks going out all the time. They need additional resources. And obviously restaurants need to get busy again. Yeah. And Houston loves HRW. Uh, just from the response that we got on social media to my article about that news, mm-hmm. I can tell the people are really excited about yeah. this. How do you feel about HRW being extended? I am. I'm cheering. I'm cheering. Like, because we didn't really get to do as much just with our schedules as we usually do. And then with the the storm coming, it kind of put a dent in that as well. And we're really excited to get out. And I know just to note for people that are out in HRW, because we've started to see people posting about going out post the original September 4th time frame and maybe saying like, oh, maybe the menu is a little bit different. I think people do have to be mindful of, even though it's extended, that there may be some variations to the menu just based on what product is available. You know, so I think that we have to be mindful of that. But we are I am like super excited to get my list checked off. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of restaurants have committed to extending it. I saw that Passing Provisions has said they're going to stick around. Weights and Measures is sticking around. I know Cultivare dropped out a few others, but for the most part. I think most of the almost 300 participating restaurants are going to stick with HRW through the end of September. Mm-hmm. It's a great opportunity to go. Everybody loves a good deal. Everybody loves to feel like they're helping. This is a way to do both of those things. And on, on the flip side, some of the restaurants that Maya didn't get in for whatever reason to HRW, they are trying to do their part of having, um, you know, items on their menu mm-hmm. or um, certain nights where, Part or all the proceeds go to a relief fund. So when you're out there eating, even if you don't do a HRW, which we hope you do, check that out. Check, look, ask for those menus because so point. many people are doing that and doing specials. We've had them all for the last, and we'll continue to have them all the way through October. Well, you just you just stepped on my segue. I did. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I just opened the door for you. Yes, me. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this up. That brings us to. Our restaurants of the week, which is some of the restaurants that are running a few Hurricane Harvey related specials. Do you have a favorite? Is there one that you're like, I got to go and get that? The Anvil. The <laughs> of course you know, you're cocktail. thinking cocktails. <laughs> I need a cocktail. Like I've needed it every day. So I think like the, <laughs> I think you went yesterday. I did. One, right? I did. Yeah. I went on Labor Day. <laughs> I had a so Anvil. Better luck tomorrow. A whole bunch of bars around town are doing Hurricane Harvey Wallbangers. Uh, Such a cool name, by the way. It's just a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a classic cocktail that I think has maybe kind of fallen off the radar. It's basically, it's basically an improved screwdriver, right? It's okay. orange juice and vodka with just a little bit like a like a touch of lime juice, and then uh, I'm gonna mispronounce this liqueur, this Italian liqueur. Galanato, I think. Okay, so they've kind of modified the Harvey Wallbanger. Like well, right. So, so okay. the uh, Harvey Wallbanger is orange juice and vodka right. and this liqueur. Bobby Hugel's recipe adds just a little bit of lime juice just to kind of brighten things up. Mm-hmm. But and then garnished with an orange wedge and served. It's twelve dollars. The proceeds go to Harvey Relief. I think what's interesting is, you know, Bobby is so influential and so well connected. He has gotten. Great goose to kick in on this. They're going to donate some money to Harvey Relief for all the vodka that 
the bars sell during this month-long promotion. And the makers of the liqueur are going to kick in a portion of proceeds from every bottle of it that's that's sold. So it's so funny to me, you know, because when Anvil opened in 2009, like one of the things that defined it was no vodka, right? Yeah. No, no vodka sodas, no vodka cocktails, nothing. Now Grey Goose has prime spot on the Anvil back bar, but of course it's, it's for a great cause. For a great cause. cause. (laughs) We're making an exception. So I, for one, scoping out those fajitas at Pico's. Maybe yeah. we can try to, you know, maybe leave and go head over there. But they're doing something too, right, Eric? That's right. <laughs> $5 from every fajita for two sold Wednesday through Sundays. They do a, they do the fajitas for two really cheap on Monday and Tuesdays. By the way, that's like secretly one of the best dining, under the radar dining deals in Houston. But the other uh, five days of the week, $5 from every fajitas for two sold will go to the American Red Cross, which is awesome. It is great. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so proud and just to see everyone, you know, doing anything that they can and, you know, to support those that have lost. And here. I want to give a shout out to Eric. Um, all the coverage that you did, keeping people abreast to what was going on with the restaurants, um, updating and keeping the list updated. I mean, you went above and beyond. So thank you for helping us and everyone else out with what was going on. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It, it kind of took over my life for like three or four days, yeah. just following on social media, keeping track of all the restaurants. But I did hear from a lot of people that they found it really useful, that yeah. they'd it pick a neighborhood useful. and they would drive around and like, we're hungry. Where do we go? And they turned to culture map, which is which is very flattering. Yeah. Which was, and it was kind of awesome, too, how social media became like the hub for everything. Like if you wanted to know anything, people were literally Facebook had, you know, a ton of groups that were created. I mean, it became like the hub for any news. Yeah, and certainly I, I was impressed. We, we had a fantastic week in terms of the number of visitors to Culture Map last week. Mm-hmm. It's very flattering that people uh, turn to us for news in a time of crisis that they, you know, everything from photo essays of flooding from Hurricane Harvey. Obviously, the list of restaurants were very popular. Clifford had a personal essay about the winners and losers from Hurricane Harvey that got people talking. Yeah. So just a lot going on. I really appreciate it. And just to uh, to put a pin in our Restaurants of the Week segment, my Hurricane Harvey dining deal is that Kenny and Ziggy's is donating 5% of their proceeds to the Jewish Federation. Uh, Ziggy is like my food uncle. And so I will be at Kenny and Ziggy's certainly more than once uh, over the next couple of months to do my part to contribute to Harvey Relief. Uh, ladies, I think that does it for this week. Thank you. We will follow you uh, on all platforms. Speaking of social media, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, Snapchat, Urban Swank, and of course the blog, UrbanSwank.com. Updated. How, how often do you update that? Three minimum times a week. Yeah, all the time. Always, always <laughs> something, always, always something, always something new to read at Urban Swank. Shannon Felice, thank you so much. Thank you, Eric. Eric. I'll be right back with Leonard Batello IV. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by Eighth Wonder Brewery. Eighth Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries. Their brewery in East Downtown open eight days a week, as they like to say. It's a great place to go going to an Astros game or a Dynamo game. It's a great place to go before the game, have a couple beers, maybe a bite to eat from the 
Eatsy Boys food truck that's always parked on site. You know, beat the uh, beat the stadium prices for both beer and food while having a great local product. You know, certainly I have drank more than my fair share of Dome Foam, their cream ale, and Rocket Fuel, their Vietnamese coffee porter. But the fun thing about going to the brewery is that there's always something new to try, whether it's Haterade, their Goza, whether it's Vice Timer, the Hefeweizen, or the IPA, their double IPA that comes in at a relatively hefty 8.8% ABV. So thank you to 8th Wonder, and here's our interview of the week. I am joined this week by Leonard Patello IV. Leonard is the owner and pitmaster of Truth Barbecue, the Brenham barbecue joint that Texas Monthly ranked 10th in the entire state of Texas, which basically means the world as uh, among the very best smoked meat purveyors anywhere. Leonard, of course, is opening a location in Houston on Washington Avenue. I, I was going to say later this year, but I, I don't even actually know that. That's one of the many, many topics I want to bring up with you while you're here. But, but Leonard, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. It's great to be here. Uh, I know you just moved to Houston. Did you, you come through the hurricane okay? Yeah, it was kind of nerve-wracking. We moved in, well, we were supposed to move in on Friday, last Friday, so you know how that was. Hopefully, I didn't even get to ask you how your place was. I'm, I'm okay, thankfully. I stayed high and dry. I feel very good. lucky. Yeah, so we were up and we got rained in in Brenham uh, because out we have a house, my parents have a house out in the country out there, so all the roads washed out. So we're watching everything on CNN and ABC and everything and just crossing our fingers that the new restaurant hasn't blown away yet and uh, our house. And it took us a week to get down here, but somehow or another, we just had a little bit of leakage in the new location and the house was fine. So we really lucked out on that one. I don't know how we dodged that bullet. But, yeah, no, that's great. I mean, yeah. I, I drove past the location over the weekend. It's still standing. I can tell you that. Yeah. When, that was the good part. We, When it started to clear up a little bit, I had like five to ten people shoot me pictures of, of the location. They're like, it looks like it's still standing. I'm like, but nobody's got keys to go inside right now. <laughs> so we got there, and the drainage system's pretty good in there. So whatever little water we did get in there, either the heat sucked it right up or it just drained right out. So we were very, very lucky. Good. Um, You have been described in various press materials as a third-generation restaurateur. Can you just tell me a little bit about your family's roots in the restaurant business? Uh, it's been from my grandparents to my parents. Actually, my grandparents' parents, so I guess great-grandparents great all the Fourth way. Fourth generation. Uh, um, started with Mexican food, uh, then went on to like American cuisine, that type of stuff. Uh, pretty much been in the restaurant. Well, I've been in the restaurant industry all my life at least around it not completely in there uh went to school telling everybody that i was never going to be in the restaurant business and that completely backfired uh as you where, can see where did you go to school uh texas a&m and what did you study biology okay so a good a good grounding for barbecue yeah so um we did that finished school came back home uh my dad needed some help with his last business so um, I kind of helped him out a little bit where needed to fill in, help him run the place. And, uh, I guess I've already been around it so much. It was kind of me getting my feet wet. And then I kind of just took off with it and, uh, helped him where he needed help. And 
then he retired um and we kind of sat around he got bored about a week and a half later after he retired and sold the last <laughs> business and that's right around the time that barbecue really started picking up um and it's always interested me and we just figured let's roll the dice on it let's see how it goes yeah so how did you develop your i mean how did you develop kind of your interest in barbecue and then decide to start your style your approach to barbecue uh well, as you, for everybody who hasn't been to Truth, um, Truth is what I imagine, bar, like in my head, what I picture barbecue, true Texas, true Texas barbecue to be, a small place on the side of the road, you know, real grungy, uh, people everywhere, just conversations talking about other Texas barbecue joints, where they've been, uh, blues music, just kind of like a real funky place. And I wanted to try to make where it hit heart for me what I imagined Texas barbecue to be. And I wanted to put that right there. And I originally wanted to, um, we talked about Houston, Austin originally, but, you know, there, there's so many, there's such a big towns. And I figured, you know, let's try it in a smaller town, get our feet wet. Yeah, and it worked. I mean, I remember, I think it was... Uh Barbecue Brian, who I think was the first person I saw. Yeah, he was the first person tweeting about in. truth. Like, you're all going to be talking about this place, so you might as well, you might as well go there now because it's going to be a big deal soon. And I, I remember thinking that it seemed a little bit improbable, just because Brenham. I mean, like Brenham, not really known for its barbecue. Yeah, but you, it's impressive how quickly you built a following out there. Do you, do you? I mean, was it social media? Or, I mean, what do you sort of credit to? Uh, Brian does not like... I, I like to give Brian a lot of credit because he was the guy that kind of gave us the chance and he wrote about us. Uh, uh, I owe a lot to him because people started filtering in there after after he came in there. Social media is a huge thing. We didn't do any kind of advertisement um, because we were so small. You know, we had We were spending most of our money on trying to bring in the best meats and stuff like that. So there was little room for advertisement. So uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. It was trying to get our name out there. Uh, that's why if you look at any of our plates, if you search hashtags of Truth Barbecue or Truth Barbecue Brenham or whatever, all the plates are kind of looking exactly alike, color coordination, trying to make it pretty because it's free advertisement. And, uh, you know, if you make something pretty, everybody wants to take a picture of it. So... Yeah, I know. I know when I post barbecue photos to Instagram, that's always like one of those images that you know all of the likes. You know, yeah. like burgers, maybe, but there's something about barbecue. I don't get in it the visual aspect. It, you can post a, a picture of something awesome that I, I don't know, some kind of. Uh, I think we were at BSN. Was it BSN? BCN, BCN the other night. Uh, the pork belly that they had over there, which mm -hmm. was fantastic. And then you post a slab of brisket and it goes off the charts with likes. And it's the simplest thing, but I don't know. I guess it's just people in Texas. They're really true to their barbecue roots. So so when did you when did you find out you were top ten from Texas Monthly? Did you did you have any expectations or uh that was my goal from the beginning. 
uh, because I wanted to, you know, I don't want to get lost in the weeds because there's so many barbecue restaurants um, in Texas. I don't know how many. I think there's over 5,000 or something like that. It's it's crazy. Uh, I wanted to set a goal and, you know, I wanted to come out swinging. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't want to really play catch up. And I just wanted to try to put out the best stuff we could right off the bat. Well, it's it's certainly working. And I think one of the things that sets truth apart, especially compared to maybe other small-town barbecue joints or maybe some of the more traditional places, is that you focus a lot on the sides and, and you even have dessert. Yeah. I mean, how did you – was that – I guess is that that culinary background kind of coming through? Uh, it's kind of a team effort. I mean, we all – we're all such foodies and, you know – you go to a lot of places and, you know, they're famous for this or they're famous for that, but we wanted to hit it all across the board and kind of make everything great. Like, (laughs) (laughs) uh, and then your mother makes the case. Yeah. How did you get, how did you rope her into that? Well, it was easy at first. Now it's now she, because I mean, we're going through as many cakes as brisket. Now there's people that come in and get cakes can you buy a whole cake? Uh, yeah. We go through, I don't know how many cakes we go through a week. I couldn't even tell you. Uh, it's crazy. It's like if you get it, if you get brisket, you got to get cake when you go there, apparently. Well, yeah, you can't. Yeah. You can't leave without. I mean, usually I'm so full because truth, truth is far enough away that it's kind of a rare treat, right? Yeah. So big plate of barbecue to split usually with a couple of people. And then you take the cake to go because there's no way. You're gonna have room for no. cake after, you especially eat. with all that heavy food. But I've seen some people knock out, you know, some beef rib, some beef ribs, and some brisket, and then, you know, eat a slice of cake. And I'm sure they're miserable on the way home. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Maybe they're not driving. I Maybe hope they're not. just like passed out in the passenger seat. Yeah. Uh, no, she she was really excited because I, I we've always loved her cakes, and they're like their recipes from her mother and stuff like that, and stuff we've created over the years. And we were psyched to bring them in there uh, because they're beautiful as well. When they're great, great for pictures. Yeah, and, I should I should emphasize that these are like they're probably what like ten inch high layer cakes. Yeah, they're ten twelve inches. Yeah, you know, massive. A meal in itself. Yeah. yeah. So, it, like I said, she was psyched to do it at first, but now it's uh, it's getting a little tough to keep up with the the cake demand over there. Uh. Which I guess sort of brings me to the decision to open in Houston. How early on in the life of Truth did you think that you would want a second location? And then did you de- were you deciding between Houston and Austin, or did you always kind of know it was going to be Houston? Uh, it was always kind of up in the air, but we're from Houston. I love Houston. So I always wanted to come back home. I always thought that would be a cool cool story you know and this place feels like home i was so excited to move back here this week it feels it feels like everything's falling back into place uh no i i love it i just this is kind of something that i've always wanted to do and it's kind of cool to watch it all unfold so i mean the city obviously has changed a lot i think you know depending on where you want to kind of mark things you know gatlin's barbecue corkscrew barbecue killen's opened in 2013 kind of took the city to another level. Yeah. Have you have you kind of eaten around in Houston? Are you aware of what's out there? I've been probably everywhere. 
Houston. What you, oh, yeah, everywhere. What's your uh, What's your assessment of kind of where we are as a barbecue city? Uh it's it's hard to say because I just moved from Austin and I love their barbecue up there. It's you know authentic Central Texas style barbecue, uh, but Houston barbecue is booming right now. Um, you know, no, there's people that disagree with it, but barbecue is evolving and everybody's catching up. So, yeah, I, I, every now and then you get sort of purists who are like, I, I don't want to pay $10 for a sandwich or I don't want to pay $20 for a pound of brisket. But if you want, but there's, in my opinion, there's no denying that, you know, using prime beef, using good pork, the food just tastes better. Yeah. I mean, it's that way with the steak too. You know, right. you're going to spend a nice amount of money on a dry age bone and ribeye, but it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> I mean, are you are you smoking dry age ribeye? Because I'd be into that. I'd be. I would probably be into that too. <laughs> Smoked prime rib. That's always a winner. Yeah, I do love that too. And then, how did you? So, once you made the decision to come to Houston, what was the process like of finding a location? Uh, there was a ton of places. Um, but I, it was kind of like, what is the easiest way to recreate what we have in Brenham, just bringing it to Houston, what area would be most welcoming to that. And I figured in the Heights area, you know, it's kind of got that Austin feel it's still on the come up. I just figured it would be an attractive location to put it there. And then when we found out that, that, uh, Buffalo Bayou developments going up across the street. I mean, there's going to be a ton of people going through there. Uh, I don't, I don't know how we could have found a better location. I'm super excited about that place. And it doesn't hurt that it once upon a time was a barbecue joint. Yeah. I don't know. Does, I, I mean, so it's like, it has like a smoke, it has a, a smoke room and all that smokehouse and all that. No, kind of no, okay. we're going to have to build that on the back end. It's funny that you say that. I haven't even thought about that, but the, Truth, the original place was actually a barbecue restaurant before that. And I just going down the same damn road, I guess. Uh, so I guess that's kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, you've been kind of shy about a timeline, but now that you've announced that you're officially coming to that building, do you, do you have a sense of how long you expect it to take? Uh, no, especially with permitting and everything and after the hurricane. I mean, I'd like to get it up and running with the come up of, you know, everything that's happened so far in this past week. You know, it's awful. And uh, I'd help, I'd like to help the city grow along with that. And I'd really like to be open by the holiday season. Uh, you know, everybody's happy around the holidays. <laughs> well, and, you know, truth, uh, you know, a, a smoked whole truth brisket around the Thanksgiving table. I think that'd be a, a nice... Yeah. Alternative to turkey. Turkey, brisket, whatever. <laughs> Either or. I mean, I saw you on a list of nationally of Fall's most anticipated new restaurants. And I was like, that was the first time anyone had, had suggested that Fall might be the timeline. Yeah. So that, that's got, I mean, the excitement for this, the, the response to this announcement, that's got to be, that's got to make you feel pretty good. Yeah. And especially like coming home to see that many people excited and, and you know, going around places and they're and we talk about barbecue and i was i was at man ready yesterday and they're like oh truth y'all are coming to houston right i was like yeah we're so excited uh it's just it's really cool because everybody's welcoming us with open arms down here so it's 
It's a great city. Yeah, and I think there's the sense that, I mean, even though the number of good barbecue joints has kind of exploded in the last three, four years, that we haven't hit peak barbecue yet. I know that's a no. That's something JC Reed likes to talk about is and, peak barbecue. And I tell people there, I don't. There's a ton of people that come through the restaurant that you know they do pop ups or they're cooking in their backyard or they want to open a restaurant. I'm honest with them. I'll, I'll tell them I'll help them. I said there's there's enough room for great barbecue in Texas. The state is huge. I mean there's <laughs> there's a there's great barbecue in every corner now. So and the fans of barbecue are fantastic because they'll hit one and then they'll hit the other. So they're going to multiple places in one day. So that's hard to complain about. <laughs> right. I'm Texas Monthly has that passport program for their top 50. I mean, you've seen it on social media. I've certainly seen it on social media. People plot out these epic road trips where they hit yeah. 13 barbecue joints in three days. I don't. I really don't know how they do it. I I cannot imagine. Small portions. I cannot. Even if you eat a quarter of something at each restaurant, that's like two, three pounds of food if you're hitting 15 joints. I mean, that's crazy. Are you... Have you had a pretty good reaction? I, every now and then I'll see people grousing about the people who just come in for a sticker aren't very respectful. Have you had a pretty good experience with that program? It's been tough. I I uh, I really appreciate the whole thing because it brings families together. And, you know, there's, there's little kids that have books and they're getting excited about barbecue. I've had a kid that I, he reacted like he was in Disney World when I took him in the pit room. Uh, he was five years old. It was ridiculous. Like that aspect of it, of, you know, families going out and road tripping to different barbecue restaurants. I love that. And it's it's getting places that are harder to reach, getting them more business. That aspect, I love of it. Now, the other day, and this has happened on multiple occasions, uh, we were outside unloading wood from the truck in 135 degree weather. You know how that is in Texas. And it must have been Tuesday. We're not even open on Tuesday. And a guy comes back there and asks, uh, hey, you mind if I grab a sticker from you real quick? It's like, yeah, if you help me unload all this wood real quick. <laughs> uh, but it's hard because a lot of these people, they just want to come and get the sticker and and they don't want to experience the culture of barbecue. And I think that's where uh, some of the people, it's like maybe 5% of the people, they just want to grab the sticker and leave versus you know, taking the time to appreciate what they're experiencing. I will say, just reading people's experiences as they've traveled the state for this. I mean, when when I saw Evie Mays in Walford, which is near Lubbock, was in the top five. I thought, well, I'm never, I'm never going to make it out there. But seeing people eat there and respond to it, I think it, I'm going to Walford. It, like it, I think that's happening. It's like, is there a cheap Southwest flight out there? Like, how can I get out there kind of quick? I mean. Everybody's doing it. Why? <laughs> yeah, and I, I was like trying to figure it out. It's like, well, is it, is it close to Dallas? It is not close to Dallas. No, no, it is really like it's out there. Nothing. Yeah, and then the other one in uh, Vera's in uh, down down, down in the border. Brownsville. Yeah, Brownsville. Yeah. I mean, that's a hike too. Yeah, I mean, that's an intense commitment to get all the way south there. Yeah, but then you see all these people's pictures and they're having a great time on Instagram. It kind of makes you a little jealous, and that's why more people more people are making the hike out to these places, I guess. Yeah, I think I think this, you know, we could quibble maybe over the implementation of the program, but giving people the incentive of, oh, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to plug their sponsor because they're not paying us. 
very fancy coolers, very expensive coolers as a as a an inducement to drive around the state eating barbecue. I I like it. I I think it it gets people traveling. It gets people experiencing these places. Yeah, I told um, Brian Norton, Barbecue Brian, I was like, I hope they do something the following year. You know, another passport thing of some type, you know, just keep it rolling to keep people excited about it and not have to wait another four years for something like that. I know. I have, I think I have like four passports. I haven't even gotten all the Houston places since the list came out. So I'm, I'm not getting, I'm not holding up my end of this. Yeah. And I, I, I get kind of jealous when I see people up there. And, you know, the only time I would be able to go is on the weekends, but we're open. That's when all the other barbecue restaurants are open. So it kind of sucks. I can't go to, some of these places that I haven't been to in forever. Right. Well, I, you know, I've had that thought, right. That I could go to, like I could get in line for snows at like six 30 or seven o'clock in the morning and then just drive to Brenham that that would work out pretty well. Yeah. You could hit them both. I haven't, I haven't done it yet though, but maybe soon. That, maybe now that the weather's cooling off. That's an early morning. I will be honest with you. Uh, because of the hurricane, we did close, but I did make the hike to snows. I figured if I'm going to be close, I got to go eat some barbecue. And and how was it? Uh, it was great. Carrie and Clay Tusi, I love those guys. Uh, they they've been they've welcomed us with open arms as well. And you know they come and eat at the restaurant too, so it's it's cool. They're friends. Um, so there's one other thing about the Houston restaurant that we haven't talked about, which is that you have a business partner, mm-hmm. uh, Johnny Caraba. Almost needs no introduction, I think, to anyone listening to this, but the founder of Caraba's still owns the two Carabas locations on Kirby and at Voss. Uh, Houston restaurant legend is probably not too strong a description. How did that partnership come about? Uh, we've been friends for a while now. And, God, I can remember my parents taking me to Carabas when I was little. It's kind of crazy. Um, we've always loved that place. And uh, we were introduced... And then he came to Truth, and you know he kind of got the whole vibe and feel, and he was really feeling it, I guess. And we sat and talked, and he's always known that we got started around the same age, about 28 years old. I guess that's when he got started with the original Carabas, and he kind of got the same vibe that I was putting off, I guess, that he put off when he was my age. So there's kind of that connection there. Um He's a great guy. I can't say enough good things about him. I mean, you've met him. He's he's yeah, a really he's nice terrific. guy. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think what one of the things that I've always been impressed with is that his employees work for him for a long time. You yeah. know, typically in the restaurant business, people kind of hop from job to job. Once you get a job at Carabas, maybe not at like the server or the line cook level, but but anything anything sort of management related, people tend to stick with him. I mean, he's got people that have been there. Carabas basically since it opened. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if he can impart sort of that wisdom and that ethos to you, then I, I think you're gonna gonna be in a real really good shape. Yeah. He's he's a great guy. He's got a great operation over there. And yeah. everybody, like you like you said, his staff loves him over there. He's it's a pretty cool operation he's got running over there. All right. We have come I've I've asked you I think what I what I can about the new truth. Uh, we've come to the the part of the show I like to call the lightning round. Yeah. Five easy questions, short answers. You ready? Yeah. All right. What is the first restaurant you ever worked at? Uh, my parents, Cafe Nice. 
Where was that? I think it was 16 in Lake Jackson, South Houston, about 45, 50 minutes. What kind of food did you eat? Uh, mixed American. Okay. Uh, what's the first concert you ever attended? Aerosmith and Kiss. Nice. That's a good answer. Your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Oh, Akeem Olajuwon. I like it. The best new restaurant that you've tried recently? Cozumel in New York City. I think that place was freaking awesome. And you know, you go up there and you don't think you're going to find any Mexican food. And especially, I love Tex-Mex so much. I'll eat it, whatever Papa C does, the original Nifas, where I love all those places and you're so far away. And then it got recommended to us. Actually, uh, Patrick's over at Southern Goods. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah, because he worked with Daniela, who's there. Chef de Cuisine at Underbelly, so that actually doesn't surprise me. Uh, but it was like authentic Mexican food, and it really hit home over there. It was freaking awesome. Nice. Your fast food guilty pleasure has to come from a drive-thru. Oh. Man. That's a really tough one. It's probably going to have to be Whataburger. Either the taquito or... Uh, any of their bacon cheeseburgers. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, can't go wrong. Um, and finally, um, and this may be tricky because you're in the process of moving, but where do you go? What's your favorite place to get a taco? Oh. We just stopped by Tacos A Go Go the other day, yesterday, actually, um, trying to find new places in the Heights. Yeah. Uh, I've actually, Tacos A Go Go is a good place to grab a quick taco. Breakfast tacos. I like their breakfast I, tacos are killer. I, I, I like breakfast tacos. I'm trying to think of where where do we go for regular tacos? Oh yeah, we go to Torchies that. No, we go to other places. But breakfast tacos, hit tacos go go all the time. Right. We gotta get you trying uh Taqueria Laredo on Washington Avenue now that you're gonna be based there. Especially for breakfast tacos. Oh well, I'll be there tomorrow then. All right, good answer. <laughs> uh Leonard, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for uh, having me. We can follow you on Twitter and Instagram at TruthBBQ. Yep. And the website is TruthBBQ.com. Yes, sir. And hopefully coming to Houston by the end of the year. Yep. Um, Thank you for listening. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at E. Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. We are now available on both iTunes and Google Play. So please rate us and leave a comment. But like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. I'll be back next week.